to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, if you would, continuing in our series that we began last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, verse 17, when you got it, say so. And it says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with the excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to, know, to, know, to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father in heaven, we humble our hearts before you this morning. As we were reminded in song, Lord God, we were your enemies, and yet you redeemed us. You reconciled us to yourselves. You brought us into a relationship with you by the precious and holy sacrifice of your Son. We are grateful for that truth. This morning, as we enter into your word, may our ears be attentive To your voice, Lord God. May the gospel ring truer than ever before, God. For those that are in this place that may not know you, may they hear your call today. For those that will hear this message online now or afterwards, Lord God, may they hear your call today. And may we all feel the urgency that there is to be a people who are committed to the proclamation of your gospel, Lord. We thank you for this, and we pray this all in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. 
If you do not have an outline, uh, you can raise your hand and the ushers will bring you an outline. We want to be sure that you're able to follow along. Just raise your hand and keep your hand up so they see you. Um, want to be sure that you're able to that you are able to follow along with me uh, in the introduction of this message. The video that you heard earlier, that video was a proclamation of the gospel. It was a clear presentation of the gospel and what the gospel really is and what the gospel is about. We are continuing in our series called Church Function. We want to be a church that functions and operates the way that God desires for us to operate. We want to be a church that is committed to the right things for the glory of God. And a lot of times when we think about the church, the, the church gets a bad rap. Hello, somebody. In our days, we are, we are critical. A brother just told me about a new truck that he purchased, and I have a little bit of truck envy. Hallelujah. Pray for me. I need to repent, amen, before the Lord. But thank God gas prices motivate me, amen, to just not be too envious. But nonetheless, nonetheless, as, as my brother was sharing with me about his, his vehicle, this new vehicle to him, he was excited and, and, and encouraged. And then he told me about a friend of his who he showed this vehicle to. And when he showed him this vehicle, he said his friend pointed out every single thing that was wrong with the truck. He might have had real truck envy, you know what I'm saying? But here's, the, here's, here's, here's why I share that with you. Because we have a tendency to be extremely critical and only, and only notice the negatives when we're describing something or we're looking at something, we see all of the things that are wrong with whatever the situation is. And it's the same thing with the church, especially over the last, you know, uh, long time. I'll just put it that way. We have been overly criticized, I think. And, and when we look at the church, we see all the negative things. And, and listen, don't get it twisted. We are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. Oh, I got like one amen and a couple of head nods. No, no, no. We are all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. Amen, right? So, so what that means is, and I, I, I like this, this thought, right? Everybody, you know, is looking for the perfect church, right? And here is the advice that I give you. When you find it, don't join it because you will mess it up. The moment you find a perfect church, you are going to mess it up. You, be, why? Because you are, you are going to bring your imperfections into this environment. And so what I'm saying is we are not a perfect church. We are a church that knows that the truths that we're reading here are real, that we desperately need the gospel. Nonetheless, if you look at your outline, throughout history, the church has always been known for its good works. In the midst of its corruption, in the midst of all of the sin that has happened and all the things that were not right, the church has been known for its good works. Building of hospitals, orphanages, education, almost anything. I don't know if you realize this, but almost anything that is good within the culture can be directly traced back to the church. Did you know that? Do you realize that you should, when you think about you're part of the church, you are part of an organization, an organism, you are part of something that throughout history has always wanted to, because of the gospel, has always wanted to do good for the culture. When Romans were throwing their children out, the church was rescuing them. 
This, this fight for life is not something that's new. It's not something that happened when evangelicals decided they were going to get on some, some social issue. No, no, no. This has been going on way back in the long time ago. The church has been about life. And this is something that we should see that the church throughout history has always been about doing good. We have always been and should always be about doing good. The culture, hear me now. The culture should always benefit positively from the presence and engagement of the followers of Jesus. Do you believe that? Amen. I got a couple of nods and an amen. Okay, let me reinforce the thought. The thought is that, that the culture, and let's, let, let's make this more, more, more like about you for a moment here, right? So your workplace should benefit from your presence. You should be a positive contribution to the environment where you work. Your neighborhood should experience the benefit of you being in that neighborhood. Wherever you find yourself, if you are in school, that, listen, your classroom and the people around you should not look at you as like the class clown. Come on now. Like, but Bishop, laughing is good. I understand that. But that's not what you should be known for. You should be known for respect. You should be known for honor. You should, listen, at work, you should be the person who is there first and leaves last. Not the person who's running in making a photo finish to check in, right, when you're, no, no, no. You're the person that is there around. You're the person that is bringing something positive to the environment. But here's the thing that I want you to understand here. Last sentence there in your outline in the introduction. The problem is we can forget our main, me- our main mission and abandon our main message, and our causes replace the cross. See, that has been the problem as well, and and I know I was talking about the positive stuff about the church, but that has been the problem as well, is that our causes have become, have replaced the cross of Christ. Today I want to talk about the centrality of the gospel. The centrality of the gospel. Because we can easily get off on something that is a good cause, and we should be about good causes, but we should never forget what our mandate is. How many of y'all think if that baptism is a good cause? Amen? Amen. Baptism is a good thing. To see somebody making a, pro, a, a, a public proclamation of their faith, to see somebody identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is a beautiful thing. It is something that is great, and yet the Apostle Paul, and the reason why we look at verse 17 that we dealt with a little bit last week is because in my estimation, when I look at Paul's words, it's like verse 17 is the beginning of this long statement that he's going to make here that we just read. And what does the Apostle Paul say? He says this. For Christ did not send me, verse 17, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Even the apostle, he didn't allow himself to get caught up in something that is a good thing. It is an ordinance of the church. He didn't allow that to become primary because then, you know what, he would have just been counting, hey, I baptized 10,000 people this year. Great, I did a good job. No, 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 it was about proclaiming the gospel. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. A church that keeps the gospel central is a church that will have a lasting impact in the culture. 
A church that keeps the gospel central is a church that will have a lasting impact in the culture. Last week when we were looking at the map of Corinth and where Corinth was and we saw the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey and we looked at that area of the world and we thought about, wow, you see all of the lines and all of the dots. Every place where the Apostle Paul stopped, a church was established. There was something that happened in a great way. And if you look at that part of the world today, it is not dominated by the gospel. It is not a, a part of the world that we are seeing revival and we're seeing God move in great and glorious ways. No, it is, it, it is history that we have there. It is something we look at. And what I know is this, is that we know we are living in the last days. We know that we are living closer to the return of Christ than we have ever. That's, I mean, just by time tells you that. But if you look at what is going on in our world, we realize, you guys can go back and check out the Revelation series that we did. If you look at what is going on in our world, you look at the scriptures, you know that we are living in these latter days that are prophesied of. And so I know that the return of Christ is closer than ever. But what I have hope in is in the power of the gospel. What I have hope in is God's mercy and God's grace. And as we pray and we cry out to God, believing him to do something great, what I am praying for is that when he returns, that there will be a vibrant church that is there to hear his call. Are you here? That there will be a church that, is, that has been being purified and that is committed to the gospel. And so this morning, we want to be that church. I don't know about you, but I want to be that church. I want to be part of that church that leaves a lasting impact in the culture, not just a couple of landmarks. Are you here? Not, not, not just some landmarks that are, on a, that, that, that are on a map somewhere and said, oh, there was a church here that was really good. Oh, there was a church there that did some great stuff. Oh, there was a church in this area. There was a church. No, no, no. I want us to be a church that leaves a lasting impact. And so the first thing, it's in your outline there. I would ask you to repeat this after me. Say, only the gospel can cause lasting change in the culture. Only the gospel can cause lasting change in the culture. The Apostle Paul's concern is that the gospel has full effect. What does he say at the end of verse 17? He says, lest the cross of Christ should, cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He has been given this message to preach and proclaim. And he goes on in verse, verse 18. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, there was, there, there, there was a time where, where some of you, if you're a follower of Jesus in this place, if you're a follower of Jesus that is hearing us online, there was a time that the message of the gospel seemed foolish. And what I mean by foolish is, you know, there's some people, you know, that they, that they, that they have thought like as they're growing up, especially, you know, when you're younger, right? Because when you're younger, you think you're invi invincible. Hallelujah. Just wait till you get around 40. You will wake up one morning realizing, oh, hold on, hold on a second. I am not invincible. 
You, you, you got hurt sleeping, like you tore a muscle sleeping, right? Like that, that shows you that you are not invincible. Like you just slept wrong. You know, you ever look at kids sleep, you know, like the baby right now? Like she does this face plant, right? Like, like she, you, can, you can put her on her back and like two minutes later you come back and she is flipped over and she is like flat. Like how does she even breathe? Right? You remember when you were a kid and you would be like on, sleeping on the hard floor, your neck was all twisted, and you got up like nothing. You were ready to go run. The neck, uh-uh. Try that now at 40. Glory, uh-huh. Try that at like 38. I don't even think you could get away with that, right? But, no, but, but nonetheless, we, we think we're invincible, right? We, we feel like we're invincible. And so when someone says, man, you need to come to Christ. Man, you need to give your life to the Lord. That sounds foolish. Like, why? Well, I'm having fun with my life. I'm enjoying the things that I'm doing. I'm having fun where I'm at. Why do I need to come to Christ? Later on when I'm old, then I'll come to Jesus. Oh, you need to be in church. No, 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 I don't need to do all that. There's other things I want to do. I told you when I, was, when, I, when I was young and my grandmother used to take me to church, went to church, had a, you know, good time. And then there was a problem, though. I love football. And back then, you didn't have the, the, the options you have today. Like, you can record, DVR, everything. You can watch every single football game that is on television on Sunday. You can do all that, whatever sport you're into. But when I was a kid, you couldn't do that. And for some reason, these Christians wanted to be in church all day. It wasn't like us. Like, some of you are like, man, praise the Lord. Worship and praise was done at 1019. Hopefully, Bishop could get us out of here by 11 today. You're praying for a miracle, aren't you? It's already 10.39. I mean, I'm only in point one, like midpoint point one. So I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> you were like, man, Hector, praise the Lord. Amen. You got, I, you got, you getting us out early. Glory to God. But when I was a kid, it was like we went to church. They had Sunday school at that time. We went from Sunday school. Then we went to the, to, to the service. Then after the service, they wanted to like play games and picnic. And by the time we got home, football was over. So as soon as I found out that I did not have to get up on Sunday morning, you know what I stopped doing? I stopped getting up on Sunday morning. Because what? Because football was more important than going to church. Church was foolishness to me. In my head, that's the way that I thought about it. And so here Paul says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Did you hear those words? They're foolishness to those who are perishing. So you know what that should do inside of us? Whenever we have a conversation with someone about Jesus and it seems like what we're saying to them is foolishness, there should be an urgency that comes up inside of us that says, wait a second, that person is perishing, that person is lost, that person is blind. That should lead us at minimum that when we walk away from that conversation that we take them into prayer before the Lord and that we say, God, open their eyes that they can see that they are lost, that they can see that this gospel is not foolishness, but that this is the power of God. That's what should be happening here. The apostle Paul, he goes on. He, he says here, he says, for it is written, and he's quoting Isaiah. He said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And then he goes on, verse 20. He says, where is the wise? Where's the wise man? Where's the person who has all this wisdom? Where is the scribe? Where is the one who has all the intelligence? Where is the disputer or the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Look at verse 21. It says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Hold on a second. I want you, I want you to notice something here. The world through wisdom 
did not know God. For some of you guys in here, and, you, and, and, and for those of you that have been here for a while, you know, I've talked to you about going into the book of Proverbs and reading a proverb a day, right? A proverb a day keeps stupid away. Amen. Right? If, if you apply it, if you just go sit down, you know, you have 31 proverbs, you read one proverb a day. So, you know, whatever today's date is, today's the 21st, read Proverbs 21 today. Pull away from Proverbs 21, one principle that is there. Meditate on that, pray on that, right? Like that's the idea. But you'll notice something that the scripture says about wisdom. It says this, it says that wisdom is at the street corners crying out. Think about this for a moment. Wisdom, the wisdom of God is on the street corners crying out saying, come to me all you simple. Come to me all of you who don't understand life. Come to me and follow my ways. Follow my direction. You know, you know, you know, you know that wisdom, that wisdom is the wisdom of God that is calling us to God himself. And you know what people are doing all day long? Walking away from God's wisdom. They're listening to the other voices on the street corner, the voice of folly, the voice of foolishness. That they're listening to that other voice, and they're following that other voice, doing their own thing, following their own agenda. That's what is happening here. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. It pleased God that, that, that through, the, through, through the foolishness, he goes on to say, through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So God's saying, listen, man, I'm not trying to convince people. You know, sometimes we get, we get, we get intense, right? Sometimes we, you know, especially guys like me, right? Like I'm a, I'm a debater, right? I, I like to be right. I don't, I, don't, I don't like to be wrong, right? And so I won't, if I don't know about something, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to sit there and try to tell you about something I don't know about. Now, if I know about it, don't come at me. Don't come at me trying to tell me something that ain't right because I'm going to, you know, debate you, I'm going to try, no, I'm, really I'm trying to help you, right? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a helpful guy, right? I don't, I don't just like to argue, to, I want to help everyone I can to know the things that I know, right? And so, but what can happen to me is because I know something and then I know something is not true, what can easily happen is I get into this intellectual conversation, into this intellectual debate, and I try to one-up you. I want to help you, right? Hopefully, if I want up you enough, I can make you be like, yo, you're right. And let, let, me, let me turn, and I'm talking about the gospel here. I'm not talking about anything else. I'm talking about the gospel. Hopefully, but you know what I've learned? The more one-ups you get, the more people shut down. The more you confound their points of wisdom, the more they're like, I don't want to hear about this, Jesus. Most of the time, that's what happens. You know why? Because pride is right there saying, wait a second, I thought I knew my stuff, and now this guy or this girl is over here shutting me down left and right, making me feel inadequate in the conversation. And so all of a sudden, I don't want to hear about this, Jesus. Now listen, church, let me tell you something. Don't be a coward. Don't be, don't be silent because you don't want to hurt people's feelings. It's okay to hurt people's feelings. Amen? Amen? Not just be, I'm not telling you to be a jerk. I'm not, I'm not telling you to be rude. I'm not telling you to be harsh. But when you share truth, you know what's going to happen? When you share the truth, the truth offends. The truth hurts people. When you share the truth with someone, guess what? It may hurt their feelings. That doesn't mean that you don't share it because you don't want to hurt their feelings. That means that you temper it with love. Jesus was what? He was full of grace and truth. Not just truth. Not just grace, grace and truth. And that's the way that we are supposed to proclaim 
the gospel. Here's the thing that we have to realize. Our world is missing God for what is not wisdom. Our world is missing God for what is not love. Our world is missing God for what is not freedom. And yet God has given the church a message that may seem foolish and weak, but it is wiser and stronger than anything the world knows and offers. Look what the Apostle Paul goes on to say. He said, for the Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, <clears throat> excuse me, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because, listen to this, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let me ask you a question. Is God foolish? Absolutely not. Is, is, is God weak in any way, shape, or form? No, he's not. And so Paul is using a play on words here. He's saying what, is, what people say is foolish, oh, it's wiser than God's wisdom. What people say is weak is stronger than men's strength. When I thought about this point, I'm thinking about, man, like, what is God saying? And God is saying things like, man, you know, <laughs> there was this guy, his name was Jason. It's Jason, it's me. He was lost, seemingly impossible to save, and yet through the foolishness of this message called the gospel, God rescued him. God did what no one in the world could do. No one in the world could turn me away from my sin. No one in the world could liberate me from the things that I loved and the things that I was engaged in. Nobody was able to do that. No wisdom of this world is able to save or set someone free. And yet we want to believe the world. What does the world tell you? The world says, hey, you identify how you want to identify. You live how you want to live, and then you're going to be what? You're going to be free. Isn't that what the world says? Then you're going to, hey, you come out, you, you express who you are, you share your feelings, you share your truth. There ain't no your truth. There's your feelings, there's your emotions, but there's no your truth and my truth. There is absolute truth, and that is God's truth. God is the owner of all truth. But the world says, hey, you be like that. But you know what? Have you, have you realized something when you look at whether it's movie stars, you, you realize the levels of depression that there is there? All the rich people you know, you realize the, all the stuff that they have to try to use to fill the void that is there within their heart. Why? Because it is, all of that is weak in comparison to the power of God. God takes a guy by the name of Paul. Paul was a guy. I mean, this dude was a stud. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was born with the right name. He was raised by the right teachers. He knew all the right languages. I mean, Paul was the man, and God reveals himself to him and yanks him out of the world, yanks him out of his lostness through what? The power of the gospel. God's foolishness is wiser than men's. God's weakness is stronger than men's strength. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, a gospel-altered life is a culture-changing life. A gospel-altered life is a culture-changing life. He goes on to say here in verse 26, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many 
wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called in verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen that the th and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence Paul reminds them he says hey you guys you remember when God called you you weren't like all that most of you, like some, like if you read the book of Acts, right, you go through the book of Acts, you can see that there are some people who were obviously wealthy. There were obviously some people who had notoriety. There were obviously, I just talked to you about the Apostle Paul. There were some people who had the nobility, nobility meaning that they were born into the right family. They had the right family name, right? So there were some people, but most of the people that God had called in Corinth, they weren't people that were, they weren't the people you would want on your team. Think about Jesus' disciples. He called fishermen. <laughs> fishermen, right? Like, he, th th those were the guys. He didn't go into the synagogue to go and get the most educated and well-trained people. He went and he got these guys that, who's going to listen to some fishermen? But those are the guys he said, come here, I'm going to show you how to be fishers of men. He went and got this tax collector guy. This guy, Matthew, was a tax collector. Nobody, they were hated people. That wasn't someone you wanted on your team. You didn't, you, you, you didn't want the tax collector. You didn't want him around you, especially. But Jesus calls him, and guess what? Then, he, then, then the guy throws a party, right? And Jesus is like, with them all. Because what? Jesus wanted to use that opportunity in order to bring the gospel to those who the world would say, man, we don't want anything to do with them. Those people are foolish. Those people are crazy. See, again, when we look at the history of the church, we see all the good stuff that was happening. But we also see the corruption. We also see the brokenness. We also see the sin there. And God wants to take us, the, the foolishness of this world, to confound the wise. As I was thinking about this point, here's what I want to share with you. God has more for you, just maybe not what you want. Let me say it again. God has more for you, maybe just not what you want. Maybe he doesn't want to use you the way that you want to be used. Maybe he doesn't want to give you the thing that you might want. He want, When you think about it, Peter, you would, you would think, you and I would think, that Paul would most definitely be the guy that God would call out in order to send him back to the Pharisees to re-indoctrinate them. That's what we would think, right? And yet, who is Paul? Paul is the apostle to us, the Gentiles. That's who Paul uses. And God uses Peter, this fisherman, come on now, to do what? To be the one. This, but, but, but it's because of what? Because it's not about us. God doesn't want, listen, God wants us to be able to remember, wait a second, this is not about me, this is about him. This is what the gospel does. The gospel changes our lives so that way we, you and I, can be vessels of the kingdom. God wants to use us in ways. He wants to do things through us, especially when it comes to this idea of the kingdom. Here's what I want you to know. God specializes in the impossible. Does anybody have any, like, impossible friends right now that you're like, man, this person is never coming to Jesus? Anybody? Yeah? My mom had, had a son like that. She has some other sons still like that. Amen. We praying for them. Glory to God. <laughs> we, know, we, know, we know if he could bring one, he could bring the rest. Amen? Amen? There's nothing impossible for God. 
What is impossible for men is possible with God and God alone. Through what? Through ingenuity? No. Because you have all the answers? Absolutely not. It's because you have one answer. It's the answer that the apostle Paul said. You have one answer. Listen, you don't have to have any other answer. You don't have to have any other response. We need to be a people who keep the gospel central in our lives. That is the answer. That is where we're pointing people to. It sounds foolish to the world. They come and bring you your problems. Hey, man, I need to bring you to church. Come on now. They come and bring you your problems. I need to bring that to prayer. They come and bring you. Man, Jesus is the answer. That sounds foolish. God takes the foolishness of this world to confound the wise. That's what he does. He takes the foolishness of this world to confound the wise. Through the gospel, he makes his wisdom known. The apostle Paul goes on to say, he says, but of him you are, verse 30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. And he says, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. But of him you are in Christ Jesus. God has taken us out of the world and put us into a relationship with God. He has given us the wisdom of God, which is found in Christ Jesus. And then he gives us these three things right here. He says, in righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In righteousness, what does the gospel do? And look, I know you guys were fully in, and I know you took notes on the video, but let me just recap the video a little bit. What that video said is that we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us that is in this room, look, we're, we're either in two, we're, we're in one of two categories. Either we are in a relationship with Jesus, either we have made a confession of faith, we have committed our life to him, we have surrendered our will to him, or we are a person who has not done that yet. We, have, we are not walking in a relationship with him. But nonetheless, we all are in the same category as sinners who are fallen by nature. And because of our sin, we are separated from a relationship with God. Our sin separates us from him. Our, our sin doesn't just separate us from him, but our sin literally makes us his enemies. I don't know about you, but I don't want, I don't want to have God, the creator of all, as my enemy. I don't want to, but that's how people are in this world. If you are not walking with God, you are his enemy. That's what the scripture says. You are on your way to experience eternal damnation. That's what the scriptures teach. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have not trusted him with your life, that's what the Bible says. But you know what the scripture also says? But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, while we were his enemies apart from him, while we are separated from him, what does he do? He dies for us. Because what? Because he wants to reconcile us. Because he wants to bring us back into a relationship with him. Listen to me. God wants to save you from hell to be sure, but he wants to do much more than just save you from hell and eternal damnation. He wants to bring you into a relationship with him. He wants to bring you freedom into your life. This is what he says here. And he, God becomes, Jesus becomes the wisdom of God and righteousness for us. That's called justification. You know what God wants to do? God wants to give you a right standing between you and him. He wants to take you from the category of enemy to friend. Somebody should have got a little more excited than that. <laughs> 
He wants to take you from the place of being separated from him to now being reunited with him. That's what he wants. That, that is what Jesus came to do, to give us his righteousness, to take the filthiness off of us and clothe us in righteousness, making us beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. That is what he wants to do. But he doesn't just want to leave it there, but he says, and sanctification. Sanctification is a big word that means to be set apart. God doesn't want to just say, hey, you're right with me, now go live how you want to live. No, no, no. He says, you're right with me, now live how I want you to live. Amen. You're right with me. Now, now, now that you're right with me, your life should walk right with me. Now that you're right with me, you should be living for my glory, not your glory. You should be. Th- 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 but this is what the gospel does. The gospel is bringing sanctification into our lives, changing our thought patterns, liberate what the world couldn't do. The weakness, the strength of the world cannot change a man's mind or change a man's heart. All of the psychology in the world cannot liberate someone from what is really going on inside of them, but God does it by the power of the gospel. And not just that, but he also says, and redemption. What is redemption? He paid a ransom for us. He paid a price for us. And that price guarantees what? That we will be with him in eternal glory forever. That when he returns, we're going to be with him. Or if we die before that, guess what? We're going to be with him. That is the beauty of the gospel. And that is what God, listen, that's what God has done for me. And that's what God has done for you if you have put your faith in him. And if you haven't put your faith in him, today is the opportunity for you to put your faith in him. To say, Lord, I want a life exchange. I want to exchange my life of sin, my life of living for myself, my life of pride, my life of rebellion, my life of lying, my life of depression, my life of whatever it is that you are living. I want to live not for me, but I want to live for you. I want to embrace the sacrifice that you've made. I want to embrace the love that you showed me. I want to recognize that I have been your enemy, but you have done everything to make me friend. And I don't want to reject that, but I want to walk in that. Just as God alters our lives by the power of the gospel, church, hear me Hear me now. The same way that God alters our lives by the power of the gospel, he calls us to be vessels of wisdom and power to confound the wisdom and power found in this world. Are you here? God doesn't just want to save you. He wants to send you. He doesn't just want to redeem you. He wants to send you with a message of redemption and hope. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say the gospel is about revelation, not just information. Listen, I just presented a bunch of information to you. You can write that down and you can share that with someone. I hope that you will share that with as many people as you can, that you will let as many people know that you can encounter about the amazing sacrifice that Christ made for you, that you can, can be a faithful witness sharing that information. But I want you to know something. You are carrying, whether you realize it or not, a loaded gun. You are carrying something that has power. Listen, for those of you that have given your life to Christ, you know about that power. You've experienced that power. You've experienced that love. You've experienced that redemption. For those of you that have not, I want you to know you can't experience it. 
You can, listen, if you hear and you respond to him, you can experience that justification. You can experience that, that clothing and righteousness. You can experience that sanctifying power, that ability to make you more like Christ. You can experience that hope that comes because I have been redeemed. Hallelujah. You can experience that. But we know this power, but Christ has given us a message that's not just about transferring information, but it's about bringing revelation. Finally, the apostle Paul reminds them of his message. And to them, he tells them of his demeanor. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want you to know why this is so important. The Apostle Paul, the writer of this book, wrote the majority of the New Testament. Why do I say, why, why do I make that point? Because what God does is he takes people and he uses them. All of his life, he had been in training under great teachers. He knew the Old Testament scriptures better than anyone that is, that is sitting in this room. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just guess that. They, they memorized these scriptures. They knew the meaning of these texts. The Apostle Paul could have walked in any place and blown their minds with the, with the words of wisdom he could have brought with the eloquence he could have brought in the room. He could have made people say, wow, that's a smart dude. Man, that guy knows his stuff. Man, that guy really memorized the Torah. He really memorized the prophets. He really knows these prophetic books. He really knows these prophets. But, but, but the Apostle Paul said, no, no, no. When I came to you, I don't want to come to you with eloquence. I didn't, I didn't want to come to you with words that made you say, wow. I wanted to come to you with a message that made you say, wow. With a message that made you say, man, I need that Savior. I need that salvation. I am the one who has offended God. I am the one who, has, who, who is the cause of Christ dying. My sin is what nailed him to the cross. To realize that this wasn't just a good message for somebody else, but that everyone who was hearing this message was convicted of their sin of righteousness and judgment. The Apostle Paul said, I did not come to you with excellence of speech. I did not come to you with wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing, to not know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words. Now listen, not with persuasive words of human wisdom. It wasn't that his words weren't persuasive. It was that they weren't persuasive with human wisdom. They were words that to some sounded foolish. They were words to some that were a stumbling block because he was saying, listen, you, you cannot be righteous on your own. You may, you, you, you may think you're good, but you're not. You may think that you're righteous. You, you, you may think that you've adhered to the law enough, but you have not. This is the message that the Apostle Paul brought. 
that the reason why Jesus had to die is because we can't save ourselves. So what did the Apostle Paul do? He reminded them of his message. He goes on, he says that he came to them not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. And why did he do this? That your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That your faith wouldn't be in your, your, your understanding. Listen, I'm, I'm all about doctrine. I'm, you know, I love the Bible. I love to talk about doctrine. It, the doctrine is important for us. But he said, your faith, it wouldn't be because you knew some confession that was told to you. Your faith wouldn't be because you could talk about different doctrines that are in the Bible. Your faith wouldn't be because you had your eschatology all down. No, no, no. Your faith would be in the power of God that came through the preaching of the gospel. Your faith was in the revelation of God. Again, the gospel is not just information. It's revelation. It's God revealing himself. So how did Paul come to them? He came to them with humility. He was in weakness and fear and trembling. His speech was plain. There was no excellence of speech or persuasive wisdom. And his message was focused. It was Christ crucified, the testimony or the mystery of God. And what was the result? The result of that message was the demonstration of the power of God's spirit. That was the result. The result was that people were convicted of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And here's what I want you to know about that result. There's something that, that, that I notice about the preaching of the gospel in the scriptures. There is never anyone who just walks away kind of like, eh. They walk away one of two ways. They are, and I'll add a third one here because I think that there is this also. There is the one way that they walk away totally wrecked. Because they realized, man, I have sinned against God, and yet he came to rescue me. That's one way that we see clearly. And then there is this other way that people walk away. They walk away mad. They walk away angry. How can you, who are you to call me a sinner? Who are you to say that I need salvation? Who are you to say that I haven't lived right enough? Who are you to say, that's how people walk away. And then there's the Berean response. You know what? We want, to, we want to dig into this a little bit more. We want to see if these things are true. But nobody walks away like, oh, it's not a big deal. Listen, church, we have to be a people who are committed to this gospel. We have to be a people who realize the power of this gospel. We have to be a people that say, wait a second, Lord, we don't want to just share words, but we want to share the power of your spirit in those words. We want to share the power of your spirit as we share the gospel. See, here's the thing. When a church is faithful to the gospel, God will reveal himself through them. And it will witness new births. It will witness true conversions to Christ. And the lasting fruit of faith in the power of God, not the wisdom of men. You see, when we are a church that is committed to the true gospel, when we are committed to the purity of the gospel, people don't just get excited about our church. They don't just get excited about our brand. They don't just get excited about what's happening in that congregation. They get excited about the cross. They get excited about what Jesus Christ has done 
for them. What motivates them is the gospel. What motivates them is the life, the burial, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. What moves them in their lives is what Christ has done. Church, that is what should move our hearts. And so here's my closing question. I have two, two closing questions for you. But as I, I, as I walk through this, here's the first one. The first one is, do you care about impacting the culture with the gospel? I ask you this sincerely because I wonder when you hear this message, if anything inside of you says, man, this world needs to hear that message. This world around me needs that gospel. This world around me needs to hear and experience the power that brought new life to me. Do you care about impacting the culture with the gospel? And listen, I just want you to be sincere between you and the Lord right there. If you say no, if I'm honest, no, not really. If I'm honest, no, there's nothing inside of me that says, man, I I really want to see the world impacted by the gospel. And listen, between you and the Lord, I call you to repentance today. Because church, there is a dying world outside of these doors. You encounter walking dead people every day. You encounter people who don't know the truth, who have no concept of who the true God is. You are encountering people all the time who think that they know God, but their lifestyle says they do not know him. We should care about that. That should move our hearts. And so I call you, I beg you to be repentant if your heart is not moved to change people's life. I'm so encouraged by Pastor Rod who's sitting in the back. He's with us today. For those of you that know, we've been praying for him. And we're so grateful that he's able to be with us today. And he's, a, he's, slightly, he's slightly older than I am, just a little bit. He's been a pastor for a lot longer than I have. And I'm so encouraged. I'm so encouraged by his heart. Because his heart is that even though he's battling with physical situations, even though he's a little bit older, he still wants to make an impact for the kingdom. He still has a a burning desire. And and you're like, oh, well, he's a pastor. He should. No, no. You know, someone asked me a good question this week. They said, hey, do you see pastoring as a job? And I answered in the best way that I could. No, pastoring is a calling. But you know, you know what I'm called to before I'm called to pastor? I'm called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you know what disciples of Jesus Christ care about? Forget their titles. A disciple of Jesus cares about knowing God and making him known. A disciple of Jesus, you know what disciples do? Disciples are, and I'll, I'll use this term loosely, disciples are many shepherds. Hello. That's what disciples are. Many shepherds, right? Because you may not, most of you are like, I'll never get up here and do what you're doing. You're right, and that's fine. We don't need a bunch of me in here. Hello. But we need a bunch of people who will go out there and who will say, I want to see the gospel impacting lives. 
I, you know what, I, in my neighborhood, I want to start praying and saying, God, you know, I have neighbors that don't know you. I have neighbors that may be on the fence. How can I impact them with the gospel? And who knows, maybe God will use you to go ahead and open the doors of your house to do a Bible study in your house, and you'll be able to just walk through scriptures with them, and God will use you. They don't have to call you pastor, they don't have to call you bishop, call you brother, call you sister. Nonetheless, here's the thing, God, I said it earlier, God wants to use you more than you know. It may just not be the way you want him to use you. But if you don't have a heart, if you're not, listen, if, if something's not burnt, and listen, I don't mean, listen, I understand we all have issues, we all have things, we got stuff that's going on in our lives. I know that this may not burn every single, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor and I do that, and this doesn't burn in me every single moment. I'm not, I'm, I can't get up here and lie to you. But it burns in me. There's a desire, and I pray that that desire is in you. My second question that I have is this, is where is your reliance? If you say, yeah, you know, I do want to see the, the gospel impacting the culture, my question is where's your reliance? Are you relying on your own wisdom? Are you relying on your own ability? Are you relying on your own charisma? Are you relying on your own attractiveness? What, what are you relying on? Are you, are you relying on someone else? Or are you relying on the gospel the same way Paul did? Do you understand that God has given you a loaded gun in a positive way? He's given you a message of power, and he wants to use you. That's what I want you to hear this morning. He wants to save you if you don't know him. And he wants to use you if you do know him. Bow your heads right where you are. God, we come to you today. I come to you with gratitude of heart, Lord. Thank you for allowing me the privilege to preach your word. Thank you for this gospel that you have entrusted us all with. Thank you for saving us, God. Thank you for clothing us in righteousness. Thank you for liberating us from the powers of hell and the plans of the wicked one. Thank you for redeeming us under yourself. Lord, my prayer is that we would be a people who are burdened with the gospel for our world. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this place that does not have a saving relationship with you, God, that has not put their faith in you, that today they would make that decision, that today they would humble themselves, that today they would turn to you with all of their hearts. I pray for my brothers, I pray for my sisters that are in here that have heard your word. God, I pray for them, I pray for us, that we would not be so consumed with our lives that we forget about the power of this gospel and the mandate that we have to be sharers of it. With your head bowed there, I have two questions, and I just ask you to bear with me for a moment. Your head's bowed. If you're in here in this place, 
and you heard the gospel today, and you say, God, I need you to save me. I want to begin a new life with you. I just want to ask you to raise your hand in this place if that's you. If you're online, you can let us know there, and we will respond to you. Hallelujah. I see that hand. Praise the Lord. Amen. You can put your hand down. Glory to God. Now, if you're in this place and you say, Lord, I am your follower. However, I have not had the right heart toward the world around me. And I want to repent of that today. If that's you in this place, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are, and I want to pray with you. Hallelujah. Father, you see those that have stood in this place today before you. You see their hearts, God. And they've said, Lord, we hear your message, and we want to have the right heart toward the world around us. Lord, we want to make an impact for your glory, for your name's sake, and we know that that comes through your gospel. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you fill these who have stood today. I pray that you fill us afresh and that you use us, God, that we would trust in the power of the gospel, Lord. That we would trust in the power of these words that you've given us that are much more than just information, God. Father, burden our hearts. And for the rest of my brothers and sisters in this place, Holy Spirit, I pray for us that we would have the right heart, that we would have the right mind, and that we would care that your word goes forth to bring change and transformation to the lives of those that we encounter, Lord. Help us to be faithful stewards of the mystery of the gospel, Lord. We thank you for this, and we pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said... Amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.